Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is our text for today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord God, we do now ask for your Holy Spirit to come give us understanding that we may not only just understand rightly, but Lord, that we may rightly apply this word to our lives in a way that would be faithful and true. God, help us to have hearts that are receptive and eyes and ears that are open to receive. Lord, do your work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, for the last 32 months, we have been walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And we have arrived at our last sermon in this series, the Exposition of Matthew. Some of you are thinking it's about time. Others of you maybe uh, think we could have spent more time. But Matthew chapter 28, what greater way to end the Gospel than in the Great Commission? We've spent, for, really for the past two Sundays, we have been considering this text by looking at really the... The, the scope, the, the massive call that we hear in these final verses in this gospel. We first considered a couple of weeks ago the authority behind this commission, the authority where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I love what John Piper said. He said, his authority is our search warrant to go into all the world. We have now warrant to go into all the world to make disciples because of the authority of Jesus Christ. We stand on that. So we looked at that authority that is the, the fuel, the, the thing that backs us and that, that really stands underneath our feet. Last week we considered what I would call Christ's agenda, that we're to go to all nations, but our agenda is to make disciples. That's what we've, we're called to. Remember last week we talked about how the, the driving imperative in this text is, is not to go, but to make disciples. That's what we're called to do as we go. We're going to talk more about that this morning as we consider his agenda and how that's broken out. But, but I hope last week, if you were here, you left with, uh, I hope you felt overwhelmed. Because the Great Commission is a massive undertaking. And it's not just to send missionaries to, to the unreached peoples of the world, although we talked about that. We're going to talk more about what it means for us here today, but, but, but it's so massive. It includes that. It includes planting new churches in unreached places, but it includes making disciples in your workplace. It, it, it's so weighty, and, and it's not just to evangelize. We're to evangelize with the purpose of making disciples. And so Christ's agenda is, is huge. And certainly we should not read the Great Commission as strictly a missionary text reserved for mission conferences. I think sometimes we read the Great Commission or we hear the Great Commission and we only focus on the going. The going. And for some reason in our minds, we, we think that that must mean over there somewhere. And it does. 
But it also means over here as well, in the context in which God has placed us. The Great Commission calls us to have a global, multi-ethnic perspective, which is why six of us are going to board a plane this Wednesday and go work in Southeast Asia with an unreached people group. We're going to do that because we believe the Great Commission urges that, but the Great Commission also calls us to ministry where we are, which is why the day after day after day, We are to invest. So when we get back from Southeast Asia, that's why the very next day we're having a home group in my house. It's both. The Great Commission is fueling both of those realities, which is critically important. Tony Payne, in a book called The Trellis and the Vine, it's a book I recommend highly on the importance of personal discipleship and really getting the Great Commission ingrained in our lives personally. He said this about the Great Commission. He said the commission is not fundamentally about mission out there somewhere else in another country, although it includes that. It's a commission that makes disciple-making, get this, the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. Did you catch that? Disciple-making. It should be the normal agenda and priority of every church and every Christian disciple. Remember, I've, I've I've told you time and time again, there is no such thing as the super extra credit Christian, right? They don't exist. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, called to make disciples as well. That's what we're all called to. It's not just for the, the, the leadership, and it's not just for the elders, it's not just for the paid staff, it's not just for my home group leader, it's for you, it's for me, it's for all of us. We are called to invest in the Great Commission. So the Great Commission applies just as much to the stay-at-home mom as it does the church planter in Kazakhstan. Both both of those people are called to obey the Great Commission. It, It implies just as much to engineers and teachers here, local government workers here, as it does the medical missionary in Jakarta, Indonesia. We're all called as believers, as disciples, to make disciples. The point I'm trying to make is this. If you are a Christian, you are first and foremost a disciple. Your identity is not in what you do in your career. Some of us in this room are seeking to identify with our careers more than we are with Christ. Your identity as a Christian is first and foremost a disciple. And what you do in your career just happens to be part of the grace of God in your life to let you be a a person of influence in whatever it is that you do in your career. And that includes even you ladies who stay at home with your children, which is critical in your ministry with your kids. Your identity is a disciple. And so the Great Commission is not just for missionaries, it's for all disciples, to be about making disciples. I would say it this way, the Great Commission is not something that you're called to simply fund, but to fulfill yourself. That's what we're called to be, disciple-making disciples. So, with that in mind, we've seen the authority, we've seen Christ's agenda. I want us to look at two additional perspectives, points from this text today as we consider Christ's approach and his assurance in the midst of what he's called us to do as making disciples. Let's look first of all at our approach to making disciples. 
our approach to making disciples. While Jesus doesn't give us exact specifics, he doesn't, he doesn't flesh out here in this text, here's the discipleship program that I expect you to do, and here's all the topics you need to cover, here's all of the classes you need to have, here's everything you need, any, any, some discipleship manual. Actually, we actually do have it. It's called the Scripture. Amen? It's called God's Word. He's given for our good. So what you do see here is summarized uh, for us is sort of his approach and what we've called what we've been called to do we know that the driving imperative is to make disciples that phrase grammatically make disciples is supported by three participles going baptizing and teaching we talked about the go part last week as we go it's or having gone we are making disciples we're called to make disciples and so we sort of hit the go part last week and that means everywhere to all people no exception this week I want us to look a little bit more at the other two participles that are supporting this imperative to make disciples. It's baptizing and teaching. Friends, when we're called to go make disciples, we know that that means that we are called to be advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we're about. We're investing in people's lives for their eternal good. That includes, that must include, evangelism that must include sharing the gospel with them so that they can hear the truth and be saved by that truth but it does not stop right there talked about last week we're not called merely to make converts or to make decisions we're called to make disciples we're called to make disciples so let's look at these additional participles that are here in our text first of all it involves baptizing baptizing he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore or having gone make disciples of all nations here it is baptizing them these are jesus's words not mine baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit so baptism or baptizing disciples is part of the mission to which we are called to do this is the part of the great commission that does highlight and does assume evangelism. You, you heard me say last week, some of you panicked when I said it, that the Great Commission is not ultimately about evangelism. It involves evangelism, it assumes evangelism, and here's the part that I think that's connected to that. We're called to baptize people who trust in Christ. When Jesus, when Jesus says to make disciples baptizing them, there are a couple of things that we need to understand about baptism that, he's getting at here and we can certainly look at other passages but even here number one it's commanded and you say oh hold on you said that's a participle the command the imperative is to make disciples okay we could go to acts 238 repent and be baptized there's more of an imperative for you so it is commanded even though this is a grammatical adjective a verbal adjective it still carries verbal weight to it and so Jesus is coupling this with the process of discipleship. God, in his word, intends for us to practice baptism without exception. It, without exception, it is a command in the scriptures. It is not simply a suggestion. Why is it a command? Why does Acts 2.38 and other passages talk about the necessity of being baptized? Number one, we need to understand this. Baptism is not a means unto salvation. 
It is a proclamation of one who has already trusted in Jesus Christ. Baptism is simply a public profession of one's faith. It's a time of going public with your faith, filled with symbolism, filled with symbolism whereby a a man or a woman or, or a boy or a girl identifies themselves with the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's a symbol of their new life in Christ, the, the old man going away and the new man, because of the gospel, being brought uh, about. It's, it's symbolic of the cleansing work of the gospel, of our sins being forgiven. It's symbolic even of our future resurrection. That's why immersion is, is so important, part of the symbolism here. There's a brand new book that's just recently come out by, uh, published by Nine Marks. It's a book written by Bobby Jameson. It's a new book called Going Public. The whole point of that book is about baptism. And this is what he says. He says, baptism is where faith goes public. Get this. It's how a believer formally, visibly, publicly identifies him or herself with Christ and his people. So baptism is how a believer shows up on the church, on the radar of the church, and on the world's radar as a Christian. And we know that, that here in our church, as it's not just because we're Baptists. We believe this actually to be the biblical uh, practice. We practice that by immersion because, number one, that's what the word means. Number two, it pictures salvation the best. And number three, that's what the early church practiced. Sprinkling didn't come until later on. So most clearly from this text and others, God expects us to practice baptism. It's that public moment where we are bringing a person into the church as they identify with Christ in salvation, now identifying with his people. It's their opportunity to say to the world or whoever's gathered, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. God expects us to practice baptism. It is his method. It is his method that he's called us to use to make that public declaration. Occasionally, I will talk to some folks who think that this is a suggestion, not a command. And they will talk about uh, various reasons as to why they don't necessarily want to be baptized. But listen, friends, baptism is an important step of publicly confessing your faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't bring salvation But it does acknowledge your salvation. It doesn't cause it. Faith alone in the gospel in Jesus Christ is the way that salvation comes. Christ did the saving work and our response to his saving work in faith is what unites us with him. Baptism is simply a public declaration that that has happened. It's commanded. It's proclaiming faith in Christ. It's the God-given means for us to identify with Christ and his church. This is God's plan. This is not something our church came up with and said, hey, we just think people ought to be baptized. No, this is actually God's method because of the symbolism and other things involved. Number two, it's limited. This is important. You need to get this. It's limited. You say, well, pastor, shouldn't we baptize as many people as we we can? Well, absolutely, in the right order. So it's clear that we should baptize. But who are we to baptize? Who are we to baptize? Friends, all you have to do is consider the wording of this text. Look at what verse 19 says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. 
baptizing them. Did I make that up? It's right there in the text. Who do you baptize? Them. Those who you're making disciples. So, them modifies disciples. When you consider the book of Acts and you see people being baptized, only those who believed in the gospel are those who are baptized in the New Testament. You will not find an example in the New Testament or the Old Testament of an infant being baptized. It's not there. You can look all you want to. If you can find it, please bring it to me. But it's not there. It's believers and only believers who are baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, after hearing and responding to the gospel, he's baptized. Saul in Acts chapter 9, after immediately something like scales falling from his eyes, he regained his sight, we're told. Then he rose and was baptized. Acts chapter 10, verse 47, Peter declared of the Gentiles who had received the Holy Spirit, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? We could go to Acts chapter 16. You have Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and many others who, after hearing the gospel and believing in the gospel, they are baptized. Baptism is a glorious opportunity to declare your allegiance to Christ, not only because it's commanded, but because it is a blessing to you and those who are watching you go through that public profession of faith. Again, to quote Jameson in his book, Going Public, baptism is like a soldier's uniform, identifying him to his commander and fellow disciples. It's how the church officially recognizes and affirms one's citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what the Bible teaches. Disciples and only disciples are to be baptized. And I mean that with all due respect to our friends who practice infant baptism. There's a bunch of different groups out there, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, even our Catholic friends, obviously, practice infant baptism. But friend, there's no evidence in the Bible for such a practice. Only believers are being baptized in the Scriptures. So they hear the gospel, they believe in the gospel, they're baptized as a public pro- proclamation of their faith in the gospel. Only believers are to be baptized. An infant doesn't yet have the capacity to understand the gospel and believe. So, some of you may say, well, I come from a church where I was sprinkled as an infant. What, what are you going to say to me? I would say you should be baptized. Not because I think that that was some meaningless activity for you and your family. I'm not saying it wasn't a special time for you and your family, but because of the biblical command to baptize believers. That's why we call it believer's baptism. That's why I think that you should be properly baptized. If you've never been baptized as a Christian, as a believer, would you not want to publicly affirm your faith in Christ through the method which God has ordained? Even if you think your infant baptism is sufficient, can you really and reasonably argue, not from tradition, but from the scriptures, that that is an accurate practice, biblically warranted? Again, I'm not here to say it was a meaningless time uh, that, 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 that even for your parents, that it, that it wasn't an important time for them. But here's, here's the important thing about baptism. Get this, and I think this is important. This helps people. Friends, baptism is not about someone else's desire, i.e. your parents. Baptism is not about the desire of the parents. Baptism has everything with you declaring your own desires, your own faith in Christ. 
So there may be several types of folks here today. Maybe you've recently believed in the gospel. Maybe you're a new believer. Well, friend, you should schedule a time to, to meet with an elder to discuss your testimony so that we can walk you through that process of publicly affirming your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're an, a child, an older child or teen, we would certainly want to work closely with your parents as you walk through that process. Some of you have trusted in Christ for some time, but you are, are delaying baptism for a multiple set of reasons. And I would just say, is, is, isn't Jesus worth this step of obedience? Jesus was baptized. And you could say he had no reason to be baptized, but he still was baptized as a declaration or as an example for his followers to follow. Opportunity, friend. It's an opportunity for you to declare your faith. Even if you were saved years ago, it's an opportunity to say, I, I associate with Christ and this baptism is that opportunity for me to do that. You know, for some of our brothers, you know, oftentimes here, and I understand it's a nervous thing standing up here in front of people and being baptized in front of people. I understand that. But Jesus is so much more worth it than a little nervousness. But listen, this is an argument for Scripture. This is just reality in the the world we live. Our brothers and sisters in many other places, when they are baptized, it is a virtual death sentence for many. When they go public with their faith, it is being ostracized from their family immediately. For some of them, immediately they're put on a government watch list. And they're willing to take that risk because Christ is worth it. Some of you have been sprinkled as an infant and you're not convinced yet that you should be baptized by immersion. Friend, again, in no way do I want to be insensitive to your past experience and to the important time that your parents had, many of them in very faithful gospel-preaching churches. But again, it has nothing to do with your parents' desire. It has everything to do with your faith. Your faith. Declaring your own faith in Christ. Baptism. That is how we bring people into the church, declare their faith, affirm them in their faith. That's part of discipleship. Point two, teaching. Make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I have commanded you. Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's break this down into a couple of observations. Number one, I want you to notice the content. Jesus says, teaching them all that I have commanded you teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. If you want to get super technical, Jesus commanded 212 things. You can start there. You say, well, do I just deal with those? That's what he says, just the teaching of Jesus, 212 commands that sort of summarize those for people. That would be a lifetime of of teaching. 212 things that Jesus commanded would would take a long time to, to teach them. And you're not just teaching them these things, right? teaching them to obey. But we know that the scriptures in the Old Testament were pointing forward to Christ, and the scriptures in the New Testament are now declaring and pointing back to Christ. And so in that vein, all of the scriptures are valid when it comes to teaching and discipling people in their faith. Jesus is the center of it. It's important to remember that Jesus said, all that I have commanded you, not whatever you feel like teaching. This is a divine instruction here that he's given us that we're to teach all that he has commanded. It has a very 
Bible-centered feel to it, the content, the goal. What's the end result in our discipleship? It's to see believers conformed to the image of Christ, which means discipleship is a lifelong endeavor. I've, I've, I've often said this because a lot of times, I even said it earlier when I said that we're not merely to fund the Great Commission, we're to fulfill it. But honestly, I don't know that the Great Commission will ever be fulfilled. When is someone perfectly sanctified? If we're to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded, when does a person get to the point of observing all that Christ commanded? In that vein, the Great Commission will happen until that very moment when Christ returns and brings us to himself. There's not a moment when all the Christians will sit back in the world and say, Done! Check. I'm a checkbox kind of person. Great Commission will never be checked until Christ returns called to invest for the transformation of people. I just wanted you to hear a couple of verses from that. James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being... No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is not just about hearing. It's not just about hearing instruction. It's not just about receiving truth. It's about seeing that truth transform your heart so that you become a hearer who does, who acts, who strives in obedience. I love Paul's pastoral heart in Galatians. This is so Such a beautiful illustration of what this means for us as we are investing in others' lives. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 18, It is always good to be made up much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children. Then notice what he says. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That is some passion. He's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's our goal. See people come to Christ through the preaching and sharing of the gospel to see them taught so that their lives are transformed for the glory of God. How do we do that here at Redeeming Grace? How do we make disciples here? Well, there are just a few things I want to run by you as we wrap up this morning number one we do that through expository preaching god's method to create convert and conform people to the image of christ has always been through his word that is why we we see that it is very important that on sunday mornings when the body of christ is gathered like we are this morning that we open the scriptures and that we present to you what is in the scriptures, whether we're work, work, walking through a book of the Bible, where we're dealing with, maybe in, in the fall we're going to be doing a series called Life Together, walking through the one another's of scripture, t- helping us see what it means to be a true Christian community, and we'll be in all kinds of verses, but, but those verses are actually going to be the verses that, that outline the sermons for us. We're not bringing our creative ideas to bear upon the text we're allowing the text to inform our ideas that's expository preaching let the word speak 
We value that. We prioritize that here in our ministry. Again, shouldn't be interested necessarily in catchy, trendy messages that sort of relate to people. We want to relate to you. And I really want to be catchy and trendy, but I'm just not wired that way. So I quit trying a long time ago. So living the Great Commission, that's the best I could come up with for the sermon title. Sorry. It was the Great Commission, right? And so I changed it. Living the Great Commission. It's as trendy as you're going to get with me. But that's not what transforms. It's the preached word that transforms. It's the word of God being brought to bear upon people's lives. God builds his church through his word. That's why we prioritize the preaching of his word here at our church. Number two, small groups. Today's small group Sunday. We kick off our new home groups for the new ministry year, our equip classes on Sunday mornings. These are simply another, not the only, but another way for the Great Commission to be practiced. I want you to hear that. We've made a big deal out of small groups today, especially our home groups. And they're very important. I would say almost essential. Qualified. Almost. And all of you, I would strongly urge you to get involved. But it's simply another way. Not the only way. Our home groups are the formal structure, if you will, that we've established where you can gather weekly with brothers and sisters to study the Bible, to build relationships, to fellowship together, to pray for one another. Our equipped classes on Sunday morning are designed to help you grow in your understanding of the Bible, of Christian doctrine, Christian life issues, and a host of other things we think that are important for you to understand in the Christian life. Small groups are just another method. Number three, and this second to preaching, I would say, is probably the most important. Individual relationships. Individual relationships. Establishing discipling relationships, hands down, is the best method of making disciples. Discipling relationships, informal but intentional relationships, focused on doing the other person spiritual good, is a primary way for us to be making disciples. Now, let me say this. I think that we do an average job at the preaching part. I think we do a great job at the small group part. But we have work to do on the relational part. I'm encouraged by some of the things I hear from you. Encouraged to hear John share this morning. They just met yesterday. Nobody told them to do that. That's not a church-stamped program. They did that on their own. We want to see a culture of that here. We want to see that just, just bleed through the congregation where it's normal for you to be meeting with someone regularly, to do them spiritual good, not to talk about the, how great the Cowboys are going to be this year. They're going to be great. We already know that. But to, to do the other person's spiritual good. That's what we're after in these individual relationships. Great book that we're reading as a staff right now and we're getting ready to read as elders, written by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. It said this, Discipling should be a mindset of spiritual intentionality that flows into all manner of friendships. Not a program you sign up for and then do in a particular way. We have that. I've told you to go sign up, right? But that's not the end of discipleship. 
That's just a, a means to help it be facilitated. And by the way, what a better place for you to find an individual relationship to, to connect with than in a home group. They complement one another. We, we have to foster this individual discipleship mentality, this culture in our church. So, what are we going to do to back that up? Well, this coming fall in the, our equipped classes, we're going to be offering three classes. One of those classes will be discipling. Trey Mangan, one of our elders, and myself will be leading that class on what discipleship ought to look like. We're going to be focusing heavily on individual relationships and how that ought to be, to be formed. We're going to have other great classes, Christians in the workplace and money and, and a class on worship. And so great opportunities for you to be plugged in on Sunday morning. But we want to help people do this. We want people to be about making disciples. There's so many great ideas. I mean, meeting with people, studying a book of the Bible together, reading books together, just talking. Simple encouragement around prayer and biblical exhortation. Modeling and imitation is part of that discipleship as well. Friends, we have a lot of, a growing number of, of, of young couples and, and singles in our church. Praise God for that, that he's bringing those. But married couples, those of you who have been married for a while, those of you who have been married and have kids, what better way than to invest in these young new couples or these singles that need to see what Christian families look like. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them over to help you get the kids put into bed. You need help. I need help. My wife needs help. Come to our house. Put our kids to bed for us. And we'll talk about how great of a job you did. That's what we're talking about. You say, well, that's not discipleship. No, that's, that's part of it. Learning to just naturally be part of each other's lives. Older couples investing in the younger. Older individuals investing in younger individuals. Men to win, women to women. It doesn't have to necessarily be that way. You can just be investing in each other's lives. It doesn't have to be an age thing point is taking that step to do it. But again, remember the goal in disciple making is to teach people to obey Christ's commands. What better way than to show that? Teach them this is what you ought to do and then demonstrate that. And even demonstrate your failures. Here's how I've tried to do that and I've failed miserably. Learn from that. What better way than to invest in people's lives individually? Love to see a culture of individual relationships, discipling relationships emerge from our church. Second point, and I'm wrapping up, I promise. Our assurance in making disciples. Seeing the approach, baptizing, bringing people into the church, teaching, investing people in people's lives when they're in the church. Last point, our assurance. This is a big commission. We call it the Great Commission for a reason. It's great because of whose authority is behind it. It's great because of how vast it is. Go to the nations. It's great because of its purpose. Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And it's great because of what Christ promised. The very last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew says this. And behold, I am with you Always to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to invest in the Great Commission because we have a great Savior 
who has authority over our lives and over all people everywhere. And we have a great Savior who has promised to be present, presently active in that ministry to which you've been called to do. You have not been called to do this on your own. Christ has promised he will be with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. Friends, it's a massive responsibility that we've been called to. You know, it's baseball season. Teams are starting to to go down that final stretch in this last month. If you're into baseball, if you're not, just pretend you are. There are teams right now that are that are that are focused, trying to win so that they can get to the playoffs. And there's always a sense of comfort when your ace pitcher is on the mound, right? When your number one pitcher, when your number one guy is on the mound, you're pretty confident going into that game. I think we could probably take this one if they're on their game. But friends, listen to this. Sometimes they're on their game and sometimes they're not. But listen, Christ is our ace pitcher and he never fails. He never fails. He has promised always to be with us. He has promised to carry us through. He's given us a mission by his authority and he is unstoppable. We have his authority. We've been given his agenda, his approach, and we have his assurance. What better way than to conclude the Gospel of Matthew this morning and to reaffirm the fact that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again to transform lives everywhere. And he's invited you and me to be part of that work of transformation by his grace and for his glory to the ends of the earth and until the end of the age when he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so very much for your word that you give us to to remind us, to exhort us, to encourage us, to shape us, to call us to obedience, to keep us faithful. Father, for many, the Great Commission is so familiar. It's so familiar, Lord, we hear it and we think missionaries. We think about sending, and Lord, we will. We want to see people go to the unreached of the world, the underserved of our communities and cities and nations. Father, this Great Commission is just as valid for each and every one of us who call you Lord. Help us realize that we have a role to play Not merely a role to fund, but a role to play. Father, you know the hearts of your people here. Lord, there are inconsistencies in all of our lives. Lord, we would realize that today. No one in this room is doing this perfectly. So my prayer and our hope is that by your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, that you would not just call us to this task again, but that you would help it be a burning passion in our hearts, that we would be a people individually and corporately that want to invest in gospel-transforming ministry till the end of the age. God, what a glorious mission this is. 
So Lord, would you help us be faithful in it? Would you forgive us when we have neglected it? Father, it may be that you're calling people in this room, you're stirring in their hearts to go to the nations, to the unreached of the world. God, burn that passion in them. Maybe that you're calling men and women in this room to go to other places in this country, in the state, in the cities of our nation, to invest. Maybe that you're calling people right here just to be faithful where they are, as a mom, as an engineer, as a teacher, as a student, as a government worker, as a volunteer in the local church. God, would you help us to respond to your word in obedience. Lord, not merely to check the box, but to bring you glory and to see lives changed. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the gospel of Matthew, how it's been so instructive in our lives over the last many months and years. God, carry us on. Keep us faithful and be glorified, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.